it was very similar. It was kind of like I was out there doing my own thing. I was looking at the passage. I was working through some things. I, I was researching some funny stuff to say you know, to you guys because I know how much you appreciate my humor. <laughs> oh. And it was like God said, hey, Tom, Tom, and I said, yeah, okay, come over here. I, I, w- I want to talk to you a second. And I did. And it was like God saying this to me, Tom, now I am your God. <laughs> Let me tell you what I did for you. Um, and then he just kind of rattled through all the things that he has done, he has provided, the things that, though I try at times in my life to complain, either by words or by the way I live, he's saying, here's what I've provided for you. Here's what I've given you. Here's what I've done for you. Haven't I been a good God? And the conversation was something like that, and, and, and I would, like I would always want my kids, and you'd want your kids to say, yes, yes, Dad, you have done this, thank you. Um, and then God said, here's what I need you to do then. <laughs> That's where I think the rub hits in our life anytime, right? It's when something translates into, now here's what I need from you, or here's what I would like to see from you. And sometimes when God is speaking to us on it, God is doing it from a correction standpoint. He's saying, here's what I'm watching you do, and here's what I would really like to see you do. Why? Because I've got something better for you than what this is. And this morning, as we look at this commandment, I want to be honest, I think it's the exact same as what I just described. Whether with my kids or God with me, God is saying in this commandment, very literally and directly, he is saying to his people, look, 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 let me create the platform again. I am your God. This is who I am. Here's what I've done for you. And now here's what I need from you. Here's the question is, do you buy into it? Do you buy into it at all? That God can say, this is who I am, this is what I've done, now here's what I need. Do you actually buy into that? Because if you don't buy into it in the end, here's what we get. The, yeah, yeah, I I know God, I appreciate that, that was really cool when you did that. In fact, I was there and it was pretty awesome when you did it. And then God says, you know know what that removed from your life? Yeah, I hated that, I'm so glad it was removed from my life and I'm out from under that, that was wonderful. But God, I'm good from here. (laughs) And I'll just, I'll venture on from here. So good, good, good. And then I'm on my way. And then it produces this pattern of right back into whatever we were into when God came along and rescued us in the first place. That's the whole point of the beginning of the Ten Commandments. In fact, last week we put it in this terms. We said, putting God first, right? Putting God first. In fact, every single Christian in here, every single Christian you met, if you were to ask them, tell me what's most important in your life? Chances are, they're going to right away tell you, or they're going to think about it, because in the church world we expect to say the right answer, um, even if we don't think it. So, we're going to think about it in a second, and then I'm going to say, well, God, God's number one in my life. He's number one. I saw it this week on Facebook. Somebody had posted one of these hierarchy type of things in their life, and it was God, and then the family, and then work or ministry was down here in this level, and then I think hobbies or something like that was passed here on there. And we think that way, right? God is very closely saying, look, put me first, put me first. We walked through that last week. This week, he gets more tangible with it. In fact, he's not just saying, hey, put me first. Now he is saying, and in putting me first, put these things away. Well, that's, that's something entirely different. Now, I've shared with you in the past, um, it's so embedded in my childhood because my dad, to this day, if you asked him, he probably hasn't memorized verbatim, but when he told me to take out the trash... 
right? And if I took out the trash, that was a way of me saying, this is important to you, Dad. This is important to the family. If I didn't take out the trash, he would say, well, it's just, it's just not important to you. Um, sometimes in my head I would say, yeah, who wants trash to be important, Dad? Who wants it to be important? Um, but what he was really getting at is saying, we have roles in our family, right? And this is a key role for you to play. And if you don't play this role in, in our family, then the whole house will smell from here to, to kingdom come because there'll be trash because my dad was not going to take out the trash for me. All right? In a way, it's what God's saying. He's saying, look, I'm your God. Put me first. But let me give you some tangible things I'm talking about just to help you understand what exactly we're talking about in actually putting this first. All right, so that's what we're going to look at. If you've got your Bibles, Exodus chapter 20 is where we're going to be. Um, it says 1 through 6 in your program. We may get through 6, but we're really going to highlight these first couple uh, verses this morning. Um, and as we look at these, I want you to be reminded of what we said last week, that here was God's people out in the wilderness, no c- culture at all, hundreds of years of slavery, and God was saying, look, I am your God, and here's what I'm going give, to give you that's going to set you apart and make you my people. That's what he does when he starts to give this. Chapter 20, verse 1, is what we're going to look at. Here's what he says. No, excuse me, verse 1. Then God gave the people of all these, all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affliction, uh, affection Excuse me, for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children to the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love on a thousand generations of those who love me and obey my commands. This is the start of the Ten Commandments. And you notice things that are really, really important, rules that are really, really important, as we'll get to later, like, you know, don't, don't cheat each other, don't, don't lie to each other, don't take what, what somebody else has or even covet it, don't kill each other, okay? Um, that's bad. Don't do those things. Those don't fall first. The first things on this list when God walks through it is himself. It is our relationship with him, our connection with him. He uses the first four commandments, in fact, to establish that relationship. And this that we read this morning flushes out what we talked about last week in putting God first. So as we look at this, uh, we're going to just walk through a couple things that I think hits us on putting God first. Now, can I give you a little disclaimer this morning? Um, This message is really for believers. If you're here this morning and you say, I'm a believer, I had a conversion story, or I I live for Christ, or whatever word you use to describe it, follow of the way, if that's you this morning, then this hits us pretty hard. Because when Jesus is talking, excuse me, when God is talking here, when he puts this into play here, he is talking to his people. Because if he says, look, no other gods before me, he's talking to his people, and he's talking really direct 
to his people. Sometimes I think when we read a passage like this, we interpret this for people who don't believe in Jesus, we ple- people that don't believe in God. And we say, oh, look at these people out there living for themselves. Look at these people out here following other gods and other ways and stuff like this. The Bible says not to do that. And guess what? The Bible does say that, but it ain't in this passage. What this passage right here is telling us is my people. Let's get together. Let's talk here for a second. My people, my followers, those who I call my own. Guess what? We've got, we've got an issue here. Let's talk about what we put in front of me. That's what God's talking about. So if you believe it this morning, this might be one of those uh, sermons that's a, a little bit of a, a, a toe-stepper, mainly because the passage calls for it this morning and speaks that way. Um, I didn't wear my cleats, so I won't stomp too hard. But the passage sets up that way as we walk through it, all right? So here's the question for you this morning. Um, for, uh, not the question. Here's a statement for you as believers this morning. At very least, at very least, believers, be honest with what rules your life. At very least, be honest with what rules your life. Because if you're not, it's a hard hard to put this passage into play in your life. Now, if you're not a believer this morning, I think there's a lot of good stuff for you this morning. In fact, my, my statement for you would, at very least, investigate if there's a better life in what God has to offer this morning. So, if you've got your sermon notes, let's take a look at it. I would tell you to raise your hand, but we ran out of sermon notes this morning. That's a good problem to have. That's great. So, uh, just cheat off your neighbor, copy off them, or something like that. Uh, for if you're bigger and stronger, just take it from them. So, um, don't do that. We're talking about the Ten Commandments, okay? Don't do that. All right. So, here's the first statement I want you to, to get this morning, and then we're going to look at the first uh, four verses that we talked about. The first one is this, is that we remind ourselves God's boundaries bring blessing. They do. The boundaries bring blessing. Do you know the guardrail uh, up on the road, on the mountain pass that is on the curve, that it's a boundary and it's there for our protection. And there's many times when I've driven it where I've been very pleased that that has been there. I've been driving 25 years. Um, I'm not quite as good as Jeff Yates and his Miata over here, but, but I can navigate the roads pretty well now at 25 years of driving, and yet still... There are times when I really appreciate that guardrail being in place, that boundary being there for me. And the first thing we have to understand in God's word is that it's the same thing. God's boundaries really bring blessing to our life. It it brings joy and blessing to us. Picture it like this. If you're out in a thunderstorm and you have an umbrella, under that umbrella you have dryness. And you have peace. Now, some of you like to play in the rain, so you're like, this does not work, this analogy. So, just go with me. All right? But if you're out there, you've got the umbrella, and you have protection in this small space. You step out of that space, you no longer have that protection. What God is saying here, and his umbrella is vast, is within this umbrella, you have incredible freedom in here. You have joy. There's blessing. There's incredible life in this area. But if you step out of this area, it's not that God says, I am going to curse you and zap you and kill you with the lightning. It's everything that lives outside of that, those boundaries is not out for your good like I am your God. And so we have to deal with the hardships of life that come in that. So his boundaries, they actually bring blessing to our life. They bring this. Here's what the very first verse says here that we read today. Uh, 
Verse 2. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your, of your slavery. What is he really doing there? He is reminding them of who he is and what he's done for them. I am the Lord your God. It is me we're talking about here. I am the Lord your God. Do you know what it meant to be Lord or that term? It's what you surrender to. It's simply that. So when you would say, Lord, my Lord, my Lord, it was a generic term that was used. It wasn't just used for God or Christ as we see in the New Testament. It means I surrender to you. My Lord, I surrender to you. And so God is saying, look, I am your Lord. What you surrender to, I am your God. And then he goes on to say, I rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Now, sometimes we feel like we're slaves to things, right? You may be in debt and you feel like you're slaves to your debt. Sometimes you're, you live in an HOA and you feel like, I am a slave to my HOA. Now, whatever it is, we use that term. We don't know what slavery really is like to live in. But if we read in the Old Testament and we read how the, the, how the Hebrews were, were beaten and pushed in their work for Egypt and for the Pharaoh, we start to learn about slavery. And when we study history, world history, we understand this term slavery. It's not a light phrase when God said, I'm your God, I took you out of that. I brought you out of that and give you freedom. You know what this really is, this Exodus 20 verse 2? It's a salvation passage. That's what it is. It's the equivalent, the Old Testament equivalent of God's salvation for his people. He's describing this. So just like we serve communion this morning and it is the symbolism of what Christ did on the cross for us, God is saying here, do you remember what it was like in Egypt? You're free now. It's a salvation type passage. And so God is saying, look, that was me. I am the one. I am the Lord, your God. I am for you. Now here's an interesting phrase when we say the Lord, your God. Think about something that you would describe as yours, right? Anybody, you know, purchased a, a car in the last year or two? What did you say? We got a new car. This is my car. Or somebody said, hey, that's your car. And what do we mean? I own that car. Um, or you possess that car, right? Or at least you and the bank are in some agreement together um, in that car if you went that direction, okay? Um, but we mean I'm in possession of that. It's, it's mine. Anything as simple as you may borrow your pen um, because it's my pen. I have it in my hand. Actually, I picked this up on the floor, so I have no idea whose pen is it. But uh, currently, it's mine because it's in my possession. When we think about God, though, that's not the your here. This is not a possessive word in the sense that when you say your God, that he is yours, you possess him, you manipulate him, you do with him as you please. The word is more in the definition of this. When you have your sports team, you don't own that sports team. You have no, you could call up the coach today if you wanted, but he's not taking any advice from you. Uh, you don't own that team in any way, shape, or form. You don't possess your sports team, right? But you still call it your team. It's who you're loyal to. It's who you follow. It's who you like to dress as. Friday night, I went out to see this late night with Roy. The first practice of the year for the UNC Tar Heels basketball team. <laughs> Chris, it'll be nothing bad. Yeah. He's already hiding. Tar Heels super fan over here. 
And as you looked around the auditorium, and there was, you know, 10,000 people there to watch uh, a, a practice, an opening practice, 10,000 people, which is about half the number of Chris that come out for a Kentucky practice, but 10,000 people were there watching this, and you could tell as they cheered for things that are really incredibly insignificant, right? A basketball player dancing with a cheerleader was cheered to loud ovations. Why? Because we say, it's my team. That's your team. That's kind of what this is here. That's the your. I am loyal. I am locked in. He is my God. That is your God. I'm committed, surrendered before that. And they could even come out as Friday night and do silly dance routines, and yet I would say, man, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen, and clap and cheer and eat popcorn like we did and that kind of stuff, right? It's your God. You're loyal. You're committed to him. And unlike our sports teams, though, who really... I'm a huge Atlanta Braves fan. I'm a huge Kentucky fan. Those two teams have never done a thing for me, right? Only in my own mind. They've never done a thing for me. They've never called me up and said, hey, Tom, here's what we're going to do today for you. So um, never done anything like that for me. Unlike that, though, that we have a God who does do that. He does enter into our life. He tells them here, look, I took you out of slavery and brought you into freedom. This is important. In fact, before we go to the second thing, it's important here, because if you're sitting here right now, and you can't recount the things God's done for you, if you can't remember and own the statement that he is your God, it is very, very difficult to ever move forward and not place a bunch of other little gods in your life. They're just too, it's just too easy to put them in place until we solidify this is indeed our God, and he has indeed done this in my life for me. This week on Facebook, uh, we put out on the church page, just give us a 10 minutes, or excuse me, 10 seconds, just a couple lines of what God has done for you. And I, I love the, the several things that people wrote about what God's done. Blessed me with the family. It wasn't always that way, but he blessed me with this family, and on and on and on. I'm going to just take just a couple minutes. Those of you who are so bold just to give us eight seconds, all right? Just a quick eight seconds. Now, Richard is a rodeo guy. He knows what eight seconds is, all right? So he's going to lasso you if you go past it. So eight seconds. Just tell us quickly something God has done in your life. Eight seconds. I know. Somebody's got to be bold enough to break the ice. Go for it. Yes, do it. Oh, um, he gave me a job I love. All right. Excellent. Good. Yeah, just stand and go. Amen. Amen. Lost my job, got it back. Excellent. Amen. Yeah, all right. Man, you're gonna get you're gonna get more of that barbecue chicken she talked about today for that. You did a good job. Good job, Jeff. Right. Amen. Amen. Who else? Couple seconds. Tell us something good. What's God done? Amen. Yeah. Now, how about that? I sit in the hospital eight and a half hours. I leave, and 15 minutes later, they go have a baby. That was not right. Go ahead. Amen. 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 Yeah. Those are so. Hey. Okay. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And even 
Oh, wow. All right. Maybe I'll get some of that barbecue chicken. Chase. Amen. Good. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, see, it's so important that you do that in your life. It's so important that you remind yourself of what God has done. Second thing, let's move on and, and, uh, and look at what the, the passage is speaking about and not putting other gods first, accepting ourselves to. God's commands, they're not a condition for a relationship. They're confirmation of the relationship. And so what we're saying there is, God doesn't say, look, in order to have any form of relationship or connection with me, you need to follow all of these guidelines and then we can have a connection. Now, it is true the relationship is a whole lot smoother when we fall in line and trust God and trust the living he have for, has for us. But guess what? God didn't come into Egypt and say, all right, here's what I got for you. I've got this covenant. Looks like this. I want you to sign right here, and if you sign right here, we are getting out of here, and we're going out to freedom. He didn't say that. He provided for them. He did for them. He was. He called himself their God already, and he did this for them before this covenant, this contract, if you want to call it, came into place. And I think sometimes for us, when we start to think on the, am I living right? Am I not living right? Therefore, I have a relationship with God. I don't have a relationship with God. It's not really necessarily how it works. Here's what God said. I created you. I made you. I, you could not change my love for you if you tried. You could curse my name the rest of your life, and sadly some have, and yet God's passion and his love for us would not change. It is irrational. I mean, what would make Jordan and Ashley Young, who just brought Ezekiel Dutton right, into the world on, uh, uh, earlier this week, Monday evening, um, what would make Jordan so fanatically happy the moment that baby came into the world. There were several other babies. I was there at the hospital. Others were born that day, and I never saw Jordan give a care about any of those other babies. <laughs> but that baby, obviously, he was crazy about from the moment that baby came in the world. It's going to be very hard not to keep calling that baby Nugget. So as they, <laughs> they've been calling him for nine months. Why? It, it, just the love. They're irrational love for that kid right now. I mean, when Jordan calls me and says good things about the kid pooping, I mean, that is silly, <laughs> crazy, irrational love, right? God has that for us. It doesn't change. God created us, and he has that for you. The same way he would speak to his people in the Old Testament here is the same way he'd speak to you this morning. If you have any form of devalue in your life, if you feel like you're not cared for, if you're not loved, if you were white from the earth, would no one ha have any knowledge of it? Look, I can at least tell you that your maker, God, would grieve highly because he made you, he loves you, he's irrational about you. So that's not the condition for the relationship, but these, it's a confirmation of it. Because God doesn't say, look, I love you, I created you, I'm out of here. Have a good life. He says, look, I created you, and now I want to help you navigate through this life. I want you to work your way through this life, and I want to help you make it. Much like parenting, you help your kids to the day where they kind of move out, and they're, they're on their own, and then you help them kind of in a different way. That's what God is doing. I want to help navigate through this life. I've got better life for you if you would just follow these things. We confuse it by saying it's rules, it's, it's legalism, it's, it's, I guess, laws, and if I do all this, God's happy with me, I get a stamp of approval, and I get to go on another day. Not at all how the Bible describes it. It says, 
there's just better living for you. If you're here today and you would say, look, Tom, I believe that. I really believe that. But your struggle is this. You want that, what I just shared. You buy into it. You think that that's a great plan. You think God does have better life. But you're just having such a difficult time not letting go over here or getting rid of the thing that God says is bringing destruction to your life. I don't know what it looks like for you today. Now, it could just be habits. It could be relationships. Who knows what it is. But you hold on to these looking for this and you're wondering, why does this never come? And God said, it just, it, it just can't work that way. I, I, I can't navigate through this thing and bring you this. But I have these, this confirmation of this relationship. I have this, this confirmation I have for you, and it's found here in the Ten Commandments. It's found in what I ask of you, and I ask of you to do and to follow. Why, why is it that the, in the New Testament that Jesus and Paul and Peter are so adamant about us sharing the word of God with other people. Why is it that you could really focus their theme in the New Testament to salvation and then sharing the, the word of God? That's really the themes that, that flow out of the New Testament. Why is it that it is so... Because you know what God know, knows? In our Christian life, in our Christian growth, in our fulfillment of who he is and who Christ is in our life, we just don't find it unless we're willing to share it as well. And we're, unless we're willing to get outside of our, ourselves and give it away and serve other people and, and love on other people and then tell other people about Jesus Christ, we'll just never live the fulfillment. I mean, if we take our Christianity just into our own home and we kind of live it with Bible verses and, and good life and moral living, that brings us to a level. And in the New Testament, those guys know if you really want life, if you really want that fulfillment of what the gospel can do in your life, go start giving yourself away. <laughs> Go start loving and serving and sharing Jesus. You know, some of us did it yesterday in painting a fence, um, which there was a little bit of trickery going on, um, because when it was my turn to use the sprayer, I noticed that we flipped to the back side of the fence where the wind was blowing in our face. And I noticed in a couple panels that I had a tint of white from head to toe, and um, I just thought that went with the went with it, but um, I'm starting to think, Chris and Eric, you were up to something. I don't appreciate it at all. <laughs> I don't know. Where was I going with that? You guys threw me off. Oh, it's in serving. And, and, the, and the New Testament writers, they knew that. They knew that. So they pushed us in into that area. That's what you, God's saying here is, look, if you follow these things, if you put away these idols, put away these other things, guess what? There's a whole lot better life. It sets you up for so much better in your life here. Here's a, a, a line that you may already know this line. It's nothing that I came up with. Rules without relationship will often lead or always lead to rebellion. Or maybe you could say often lead to rebellion. Meaning just simply rules for rules sake are something we like to push against. You know the phrase, right? Rules were meant to be broken. Right. Right. But we don't necessarily think that when we're in good right relationship, right? I mean, when I'm loving my spouse and we're, you know, we're tracking well and it's been a great marriage, and there's times where I think I just, I know what she would like out of me in certain areas. Like, I don't say, well, those rules were meant to be broken. No, I don't think that way. I think, no, I want to follow that because I, I want healthy marriage. I want good things to come and to stay there. God is saying the same, same type of thing. This is, this is not rules without relationship. The relationship was first. I created you. And I want to walk with you in that way. Don't believe that's true? Take a look at Genesis. 
when God created them and had relationship with them, there was only one rule. There was just one rule. That's a pretty short list to follow. If you had one rule right now, you think you could handle living life with just one rule? Well, we'd like to think we would, but Adam and Eve were not a good example of that. One rule, but the relationship, they walked and talked in the garden. The relationship was central. It was the first key thing. In fact, I would tell you this morning, if you were a believer, right, and you've even mixed up putting all your rules for Christianity in front of your relationship with Jesus Christ, I would guess you've probably had a very difficult time finding much joy and satisfaction in the Christian life. Because it's hard to find it simply in the rules. Now, are you saying, well, Tom, what, what are you saying? I, I should, you know, I'm okay going out and sinning. I should never tithe, never go to church, never do anything that, that you sometimes talk about. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying it's, it's just hard to find joy in this without the relationship, which is the key and the foundational thing. It says here in Exodus 20, verse 3, you must have no other God but me. Now, it would seem logical that if God was talking about what he did, it would seem logical that he would say, well, now you would have no other God in front of me because I did this for you and this is who I am to you. Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, Moses was up talking to God, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here in the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. And they were melted down and a tangible God was created. It would seem logical, but right away, here they were starting to worship something else. Why? Well, it was right in front of them. It was tangible. That was one thing. And they weren't quite sure what God's plan was. God hadn't revealed it entirely. Do you ever feel that way in your life where God hasn't revealed everything? So maybe I'll fill in the blanks along the way. Here's what it says in Exodus 24 as he goes on. He says, But you must make for yourself an idol, not make for yourself an idol of any kind or any image of anything in heaven and on earth or in the sea. What do you think he goes on and says this and even more emphatically says this here? Because I think he knows this. Many times, our temptations become sin when they become tangible. Our temptations become sin when we can start to put our hands around it, and we can start to see it, and it becomes something we can really worship. It's not the idea of it anymore, the thought of it anymore, but I mean, we can actually put our hands on it and do it. And here was now this golden calf that was in front of them that they could bow down and they can worship. In fact, Moses comes down the mountain, and get, I mean, like he sees this. It's going on right when he comes down the mountain. And yet this is the God who just brought them out of slavery here. So he says, don't, don't make any idols. I'm just asking you the question, do you have any idols that you need laying down? I mean, when you think about it right now, would you say, look, I have... I got some idols in my life that I, I've got to lay down. I'm, I'm worshiping, worshiping them. I follow them. I don't do it 24-7, but I definitely sneak into it over the course of my week. Here's what he says, and this goes on and, and pushes this even harder, Exodus 25. He says, You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, a reminder, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. 
I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. What is God saying there? Sin lingers. It's not just you. That when we allow sin to take over our life, when we allow something to be an idol, something we worship and we follow, and we reject God in the midst of it, guess what? It lingers. It just lingers. It lingers onto our kids, it lingers onto our grandkids, and it just keeps going down. It lingers on and on. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you would have a story, you would say, look, well, Grandpa drunk, was a drunk, he, he drank, and, uh, and then Dad did the same thing, and so I'm doing, yeah, I guess I just am destined to do the same thing as well. And it continues on and it lingers generational patterns that just fall. In fact, the next thing that we, we understand is sometimes uh, something we all know about is multi-generational consequences. Things that just stay with us and they keep going and they keep going and they keep going. Do you know what that term reject me it actually equals? It's any time that we place something else as our God. When we replace God and we make that our God, we've rejected God. Any time that we take something else and we put in front, we're rejecting God at least for that instance. And what the, the Bible is saying here is these things linger on. This is big, big business here. That when we do this, it will carry itself out. This is not just a private sin. This is not just a private idolatry, as they call it. But this will carry itself out to our next generation. Have you ever even said the phrase, our kids see more than we think they know? Or see? There we go. Yeah, there we go. They see more than we think we see? Yeah. That's, that's true. They see. They know. Parents, they know. Look, I'm a pastor, and the greatest shame of fatherhood at times is thinking, my kids have seen something in me and out of me that I wish they had not seen. You know, my kids will see the, the, uh, an anger or frustration, an outburst or whatever, that they'll see that. And sometimes we function on that <laughs> we're the exception, you know, instead of the example. We've got to be the example that they pick up on because they see it and it carries out, it carries out. But the good news is so does the blessing of God. That when we put God first in our lives, guess what? It flows. It flows. I see that in my wife's family because when I hear stories of the great-grandparents and the grandparents and their passion for the Lord and their passion for holiness and living and their passion for sharing God's word and, and going to, at the time, these country, countryside revivals and things like that, and then I hear stories about the grandfather and then I hear, not stories, I mean, I, I connect with her parents and, and then I see who she is. I, you can see how the blessing carries on generations as well. In fact, he says so much that the blessing carries on to the thousandth generation. Now, don't get so caught up that that is a literal number and that we should be counting and once we hit a thousand, it's over. Um, that's not what it means. It just means a long time. It just flows and flows and flows. That means today, if you're a believer, and today it's a time to say, look, I got to cut this out of my life. You have begun the blessing for many generations in your family. To say, I'm going to cut this out. I, I don't care what it does to my life. I don't, I don't care if it cuts my salary down. And I, I'm going to cut this idol out of my life. You have begun the blessing for many generations. Look, you're not married today. You're not even dating. It's okay. You've still begun and you've set it in motion for many generations is what the Bible's saying. When we 
allow ourselves to live with God first and put no idols in front of us. Here's what it says in 2 Kings uh, regarding this, 1715. They followed worthless idols, and then they themselves became worthless. Or said this way, your value is found in the value of your God. God's the great almighty God. Your value is found in that. Your God is your wallet. What's there right now? Your, va- your value might be, you know, $2,728. Um, I don't know, whatever, whatever's there. Your value is going to be found in your God. And so this morning, believers, let me ask you again, um, do, do you have some idol you need to lay down? Is there something you need to lay down? Now, I don't want to just tell you this as like, you know, your pastor who's got it all done. I'm up here on this holiness ladder, and now I'm going to tell you, keep climbing, and you might aspire to get to me. Um, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying this morning is you got pushed and challenged me on this this week. As I'm looking at this and I'm analyzing what are those things that I allow to trickle in and slide up in front of God. And so I want you to be challenged on as well. In fact, at the very least, you've got to go out of here and just wrestle with the question, what is there? Is there anything that you're putting in front of God as an idol this morning? God is saying in his word, the very beginning of his covenant that he puts before people, look, none of what I write, none of what I give you after this matters, and none of it will work unless you get this one right first. Don't put God's in front of me, or none of it can work out. Are you today sitting here thinking, I want this, I want all this blessing that God's given, but you just won't let go of what's over here. All I know, and I'm not that smart, is the only way you're going to get here is by letting go of this over here. What a great opportunity this morning to do that. To just say, look, I'm going to do a little business with God. It'll be a short prayer time. We're not going to linger on until 3.30. But just a time where you can go before God and say, God, that was me. I need to do that. I know exactly what you're talking to me about. And I need to drop it. And then here's what you probably need to do. You probably need to find somebody, a Christian, a mature Christian that you trust, and you probably need to tell them, hey, here's what I committed to, this is what, because you're going to need that person to say, how's it going? Hey, hey, I'll hold you to it. You're going to need that accountability in your life. Let me pray for you on that, and I'm going to let you do some business with God in just a second. Father, this morning I just uh, lift you up. I lift up uh, this, this passage, and, and Lord, I know that as a believer who's somebody, Lord, my heart is right, I think. I want to follow you. I want to uh, love you back the way that you have loved me, and I want to surrender to you, Lord. I want to give you whatever it is in my life that you're, that you're calling and asking for, which I really know is my whole life, period. But Father, I find myself at times just getting off track, starting to make little unwise decisions which lead me to following and thinking about something and dwelling on something. And sometimes, Lord, I make that thing tangible. And then, Lord, I hate to admit it. I don't like to use the word, but I think in the end, Lord, sometimes it becomes worship of that thing. And Lord, I know for myself personally, it comes and it goes. It's not like I'm sitting there staring and, and working on it all day, every day. But Father to the point where there's times where I think you want to speak to me and lead me and offer to me and I can't hear it because of where my heart has been focused. And Lord, I just assume I'm not alone in this room. In fact, there's some that might say, hey, that's a nice little story, Tom, but you have no idea what I'm going through. And I don't. But I know a God who's willing to say, I embrace you. I loved you even before I told you not to do it. 
and I'll love you right through it if you're willing to put your hand back in mine and we'll walk it together. If that's you this morning, if there's something that you just so clearly, I mean, you heard it in the first two minutes of the message, you didn't even need to hear the rest, that you were like, I need to surrender this thing that I would call an idol in my life. I need to surrender it right now to the Lord. I'm just going to give you 10 seconds here. Quietly in your head, just talk to God. Just tell him exactly what it is. Would you go? what God's response is to whatever you just said? He said, look, first of all, you are forgiven. You are my child. I love you. You're forgiven. And whatever the consequences, uh, whatever you have to deal with on this earthly thing, I'm going to walk with you through it. We're going to get out of this and we're going we're to go forward as, as God and created. And he loves you. And then, Lord, I just want to pray as we close up here that for every single person that just prayed and just surrendered something, Lord, they need somebody that will rise up in their life and, and be an accountability partner, somebody that they can tell, somebody that is willing to stand in front of you, God, and then in front of them and say, hold to it. Hold to it. And so, Father, raise up those people. Could be a room full of them right here that need to be raised up. Could be somebody else we know. But do it, Lord, so that there's somebody who can help us, hold us accountable. So we walk down that road of surrender and continue surrender to you. We trust you in this area, Lord, and anything else you want to do in our, in our small group times tonight, our neighborhood groups, or in our devotion times that we have if we take this passage and work through it this week, anything else you want to teach us, we will just say yes, Lord. We pray it in your son's name. Amen. Well, thanks. Thanks for being willing to hear um, a message straightforward to us as believers and one that we, we struggle with. If there's anything that you need to communicate with us, though, maybe it's something this morning you want me as your pastor to know about and be praying for you, just use that card, that communication card that's on your, your chair this morning and just write that in. If you're brand new with us, I'm so glad that you chose to be here with us today by invite or just showed up on your own or whatever the case is. That give us as much information as you will on that card and we'd love to connect back with you tell you a little bit about uh, the church and how you might be able to plug in as well. So um, now uh, we've got celebrate, or excuse, Saturday of services that are going on. We did one yesterday. We've got one coming up this Saturday that's pretty well full, uh, filled up with people. Um, but I thought, Patty, if you just come and just tell us a little bit about the rest of the month and how we might plug in, and and, uh, and then we'll then we'll go out singing and, and finish it off. Thank you. Good morning. Just uh, just we had a great day yesterday, and I just want to give a huge thank you to Eric Cartwright, Chris Richard, Nancy Peter, and Pastor. And it-